finish up a little series today called Straightforward. It's this idea that, you know what, I, I've been around Christianity a long time. I felt like I was kind of born in the church. I just, it's a place that has always been a part of my life. And it seems like sometimes the deeper I got into Christianity, the more complicated it got. Like the more rules, the more things I needed to do, I had to start showing up on Tuesday night for this Bible study, then Wednesday night for this, Thursday to go knock on people's doors, Saturday for some prayer breakfast, and then Sunday morning and Sunday night, Sunday afternoon for choir, I had to start praying this many hours a day, start reading this many chapters of the Bible. It was just like, the deeper I got, it seems like the heavier and heavier and the weightier it got and the more complicated it got. And then I would read the Bible, at the times so I was supposed to read the Bible, and I would read these stories about Jesus and his followers, and they were just like chilling by the lake, like eating fish together, talking about God. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, this doesn't seem like what I'm trying to do. And it's this idea that, you know, we sometimes make following Jesus more complicated than it needs to be. And the truth is, it's a pretty straightforward thing. What makes things complicated in our life? I think it boils down to a couple of things. One, we try to do too many things. And this is kind of what we talked about last week at that passage out of Matthew where it says the disciples immediately dropped their nets and began to follow him. Like they just dropped everything else. They didn't try to drag around uh, their baggage and their, their backpacks, everything else that we talked about last week. They just dropped the nets and said, we're just going to follow you. They didn't try to do too much. And we can complicate our lives when we let basic tasks, you know, we, we just try to keep adding on and on and on. We don't have enough time, enough resources. We think we can handle more than we think we can. And we just end up overwhelmed in our life. And this happens not only in our like, work lives or personal lives. This happens in our spiritual lives as well. We end up just like feeling like I'm constantly behind. And that's what we talked about last week. Just kind of drop the nets. Just let some things go and just spend time with Jesus. But the other thing uh, that makes things complicated is when we don't do enough of the right things is when we don't do what we're actually supposed to do. When we let basic tasks slide, we don't pay our bills on time, we don't spend time with our spouse or kids, we don't do our homework, we don't show up for work. Doing nothing is not the cure for a complicated life. Those in the New City family knew I was taking a sabbatical for about four weeks, I was away and was able to get, and it was great. There were days I just sat and did nothing. Like it was beautiful, like it was restful, it was peaceful. And there were times I was like, why can't this just be life? You know, and, and I figured out at some point the credit card's going to stop working. Like the bills are going to come due. You have to pay for what the, the pleasures you're experiencing in that moment. And sometimes we think we can just, you know, Christian life, I can just do whatever and really, you know, not really have to do much and maybe God will bless me. And the truth is, this is we can overcomplicate our lives by doing too much, but just as much by not doing the right thing and expecting God's blessings just to flow in our life without any level of obedience. We have to have both. And so that's what we've been looking at. Last week was this idea of dropping our nets and we're moving forward ahead of Matthew 16 and seeing the next very simple, straightforward thing that Jesus tells us to do and it's to take up our cross. Look at Matthew 16, 24 and 25. It says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We talked about last week, it's not necessarily the hard thing to follow Jesus. The hard thing is sometimes letting go of our nets, letting go of our baggage and our other things. But there's something that's even harder. 
And the harder thing to me is taking up our cross and following him. Now, what does that even mean? Taking up your cross. We read this passage and we often look at, look at it from a point of view of our point of history. Like we have only understood Jesus and the cross after his life has happened. So when we look back at the cross, we say, you know, we understand what that was. It was a thing Jesus willingly did. He willingly went to the cross. He died a painful death on the cross. And we know that afterwards he came back from the grave and defeated death on the cross and turned the symbol of a cross into the sign of a hope and a faith. But the truth is, his disciples at that point had no clue that that was about to happen. Even though he kind of told them, they didn't know what was happening. So when he says, take up your cross, it was ludicrous to them. We look back on it now and go, oh yeah, like I even wear a little cross around my neck. You know, I'm, I'm taking up my cross. Just imagine, like in today's terms, because the cross was a tool of execution. Like, who wears cross or necklaces with like electric chairs? hanging on them, or like lethal injection needles, you know, that's, we don't do that, but that is so what Jesus was saying, that he's like, there is this method of execution that I want you to take up and identify with, this was ridiculous, it was crazy, because crosses were this, crosses were for criminals, it was a method of judgment of guilt, it was the way they killed criminals, but not just for criminals, it was a method of humiliation, it was a public form of execution that was the one of the most humiliating processes that anybody would go through. The crosses were also designed for pain, the maximum pain inflicted. Scientists still say today one of the most painful ways to die would be to be crucified on a cross. It was to maximize pain, humiliation, and it was for criminals. So how ridiculous is this to have the sound to Jesus' followers? If you follow me, you must choose to pick up a cross to identify with pain, humiliation, and a criminal's death. Why would Jesus say something like this? Why would he put this out there? Because it was much more than just foreshadowing what he was going to face. It was a description of what it would be like to drop your nets and then follow him. It was this idea that your life, you're picking up a lifestyle that is so different from the norm that people will have a definitive and definite reaction to it. Following Christ, following Him, is not something that will go unnoticed, is what he's saying. You can't, it's not something you just put in your back pocket and pull out occasionally, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I am, I'm a Christian, and like you show your ID. No, he's like, you will live in such a way that some people will call it criminal. Some people will want to humiliate you. It will be painful at times, but it will be so distinct and so different. You are going against the crowd. You are going towards something that nobody else is going toward. It will be so distinct and different that it can't be not recognized. People will understand it. You will find, he said, you will start to find contentment and peace while the culture still continues to look for satisfaction. You will begin to live by a standard of justice and peace while culture still looks for revenge and retribution. Jesus was telling his followers that if you come with me, you're going to be such a drastically different pathway to this world, but this pathway leads somewhere amazing. Even though it may be difficult, painful, and some people may even call it criminal, or so different that it just seems so foreign to them at a time, where this actually leads us, and if you've been around New City, you've heard me use these words plenty, is to a life of pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. It's where we find our ultimate satisfaction in the way God wanted us to live. We find meaning because we're living a life of distinction. We find hope not in the circumstances, in the crowd. We find hope in something beyond ourselves. And we find peace 
not in just living a good life, but in living the life of goodness that God had called us to. So let's open up this passage and see these three things that he says you should do to begin to live a life like this. And the first thing he says is to deny yourself. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, pursue me, to walk with me, it starts with a denial of yourself. What do I mean by this? What does it mean to deny yourself? I think it boils down to a real simple saying. You gotta pick a fight with your pride. You gotta pick a fight with your pride and who the idea that you are more important than anybody else and even God. On the surface, this may seem arrogant or even too demanding of Jesus. He's like, deny yourself and follow me. He's like, shut down your Instagram account and just follow me. Like, start hashtagging me all the time. Give me some street cred. Let me be the one with all the followers. But Jesus isn't doing this out of arrogance and pride. The reason he is telling us to deny ourselves is because that's exactly what he had already done and was in the process of doing. He had come out of glory, out of heaven, down to earth in the form of a man. He had already submitted himself. That he had denied what was rightfully his, but he was also living a life. People would come and want to make him king, want to set him aside and, and elevate him, and he would slowly, quietly walk away and go off by himself. He wasn't living a life of prestige and honor and saying, make me something. He was saying, the pathway to pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope is to do what I do. Deny yourself. Set it aside. Elevate others. Elevate the things of God. Elevate the practices of God. How do we do this? I think we have to take a few steps in our life. The first way we deny ourselves is I have to evaluate every instinct that pops into my head. Our first instincts, can I tell you, usually aren't right. doesn't mean we don't have wisdom and that we can't learn to react and things like that, but our first thought, our first impressions of people, of situations, of circumstances, of challenges, of blessings that usually come in our mind are not completely accurate and wise. Jeremiah 17 says it this way. He says, our heart, your heart, is deceitful above all things. Like above all things. Not just something. It's a, bad, it's a bad thing to trust your heart. And we hear that in our culture all the time. I just trust your feelings. Just trust your feelings. Can I tell you where you get when you trust your feelings? You get in a lot of trouble. You get in places you don't want to go. I, I remember one time I came home. I was probably late high school. And my mom and dad came home late. And they were like, you know, Patrick, you're 10 minutes late. And I was like, and my feelings, I was like, so what? I got the so what back pretty quick from my mom. Like, she's about this time, and she let me know it wasn't about how I felt. It was about the rules that she had set up for our household. And so it was like this idea, our feelings can get us in trouble. Our feelings can get us in trouble with how we act and how we respond. Don't trust your heart. Evaluate it. Evaluate and say, is this what I should be feeling? Just because I'm feeling bad, I feel offended, or I feel upset. Like, is that really... What I'm feeling are just my own feelings that are popping up. Do I need to put those up against God? The second thing to do is then question our motives. Question every motive. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us this, that we eventually should take every thought captive. And we take a hold of it, we look at it, we examine it, and we don't just ask, you know, think this, do I do this this way or how should I respond? Instead, we ask the deeper question, which is this, where are these motives coming from? Where's this motive coming from? Why did I do that? Are, are these birthed out of a heart of anger, greed, or lust, or out of a heart of grace and mercy and love? We have to start asking, looking deeper, question our motives. Why are they there? And then we should assess every response that we give. 
when we eventually respond in a way, we should say, you know what, is, is this the way I should have acted? Is this what I should have done? Does this line up with what I say that I want to do? If, I, if I'm actually wanting to follow Jesus and be a follower of Christ, does this response that I just demonstrated, does it line up? If not, we need to take a hold of it and drag it back and say, why did I do that? Start asking those questions, which then it leads us to eventually identify, the last thing, identify our selfish desires. Identify every selfish desire. When you desire to pursue Jesus, selfishness becomes an enemy. It is the one thing that can take us off the pathway to pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope instantly. Philippians 2, 4 and 5 says, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others as well. Paul was teaching us here that the way that you understand and you get past selfishness is to stop looking in and concerned about yourself and start looking out. Denying yourself is this pathway of questioning motives, evaluating our instincts, questioning motives, assessing our responses, and identifying desires. We don't have time this morning to do this, but I want to challenge you. Like probably all of us in here, you know, there, there's some big categories of sin like greed, lust, anger, bitterness, or hate that we hold on to. And I want to say, if you take this, those sins through this, if, you're in, if you struggle with lust, when your instinct hits, it's going to cause you to act a certain way, think a certain way, respond a certain way, and then treat people a certain way. Same thing with greed. Same thing with anger. And if you are constantly letting those things end up being expressed in your life, then you've got to go back and start evaluating and realize part of following Christ is denying part of who I am. One of the worst excuses we can use as a Christian is just like, well, that's just me. It's just me. You know, I just get angry. I've always had a problem with lust or greed or anger. Whatever, that's just me. You know what? It is just you. But what Jesus says here is there's part of that that we need to deny. We need to say that is me, but I don't want it to be part of me anymore. I don't want it to run my life anymore. I don't want it to own me anymore. And in following Jesus, I am setting that aside. Then he says, after you deny yourself, the next step is to take up your cross. Take up your cross. And I mentioned this earlier. The second command is that direct call to, to follow him and carry the cross and to lead a life of consequence. Lead a life of consequence. The cross was a consequence for an action. And when Jesus was pointing back to, he knew where he was going and he was going to be on a criminal's cross. And he's not telling us to all be criminals and, you know, go do whatever you get and end up in jail or all that kind of stuff. But what he's saying is, live a life that in such a way there is consequence to your action. You don't just float through life. As Christians, when we follow Jesus, it is not a life of survival. It's not just getting through life. It is instead a life of thriving and allowing the presence of God and the love and grace and mercy of God to flow not just into us, but out of us. And too often, we just hold on to the things of God and think it's just about survival. And he says, no, live them out in such a way that you bring consequence. What crosses did Jesus bear? It's the same ones we're called to bear. He bore the desire to love other people. We're called to bear that same cross. That we love, not based on what people do for us, not what they have done for us, not what they can do for us, but we love because we are loved by God. We receive that love and we're now able to demonstrate it. And not just to our brothers and neighbors, but it says even to our enemies. Romans 5 tells us that Christ died 
not for the godly, but the ungodly, while we were sinners. We didn't do anything to earn God's love, but we often tap the faucet on love in our life. We say, you know what, you've got to earn it before I turn it on for you. But God has turned on an unquenchable, unstoppable force of love that is pouring into your life, and we should do nothing to hinder the expression of it in our life. But he also bore the attitude of humility. Think about it. I mean, Jesus demonstrated humility from the time he was born. He left heaven. He was born to a poor family, almost a homeless family. He spent time as a refugee in Egypt. It operated as under this as a, a simple tradesman. Uh, then he even, I mean, as his fame grew, he pushed away and said, I don't want that. He didn't demand fame or no right. He lived a life of humility. A Christian life following Jesus, even though it would be a life of consequence, is not designed to be a life of prestige and fame. doesn't mean you can't be famous, but that's not what we go after. It's not what drives us. Actually, when it gets poured onto us, what we actually like to do is kind of step back away and let Christ shine more. It's a life of humility. But he also bore the, the brunt, the power of forgiveness. Jesus bore the cross of forgiveness. His love just demonstrated itself in his willingness to forgive everyone and everything, no matter what it was. Even on the cross, while he was being crucified, nailed, dying on a cross, one of his final words were, Forgive them. Forgive. I don't know about you. I try to love people. I do. I, sometimes people make it difficult to love them. You, we all have those people in our life. I, I do try to operate in humility. But I'm going to tell you, forgiveness sometimes is the hardest one for me to let flow through me. Like, I, I just, it's not that I'm going to get revenge. I just, Jamal and James are talking. Like, what do I do? I just kind of step back. Right, I kind of, I just, if, if you've heard me too much, I just start moving away. And that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Catch this, Jesus didn't just stay where he was and say, look, you hurt me and so you got to make it right. Those that hurt him, Jesus moved closer to. Those that wronged him, he got closer to. Those that were living a life of sin and against the way that he had said, he moved closer to because he knew his truth and the forgiveness that he had to offer was the one hope for their lives. Mm. And we've got to be careful that we don't withdraw, we don't take forgiveness away, and we don't withhold it from people who actually need it the most. The last cross that Jesus bore was this idea of the weight of eternity. And Jesus knew that what he was doing, like I and he, if you remember the story of Jesus, he, right before crucifixion, he's praying to God, like, if you can take this cup from me, there's any other way to do this. Let's do it a different way. But if not, your will be done. And this is what he's saying. I'm willing to bear momentary and short-term pain and agony for long-term glory and hope and joy through Christ, through, through the payment that Christ was going to make. And too many of us, I think, walk through our lives and we don't want to bear the cross of long-term thinking and the thinking of eternity. And we think of what's best in this moment, right now, for our survival, and we make short-term decisions instead of thinking things in long-term consequences. So he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, take up those crosses of forgiveness, of uh, humility and love, and then he says, follow me. Follow me. What does it mean to follow? It's the simple idea that we need to grow in dependence upon the Spirit of God. That we begin to walk through this life asking God, 
lead me today? Will you guide my steps? What do I need to do here? Thessalonians puts it this way. Pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean, again, we walk around with our eyes closed to the city, like trying to figure out where we're going and how to get there and things like that. It just means have an attitude of prayer that is constant in your life. Constant. So when the first thing goes, man, what should I do here? Or somebody just did this to me or something happened and I need to make a response. My first thought is, God, what do I need to do? Spirit, lead me. And one of the ways that we do this, how do we follow, how do we depend on the Spirit, is don't isolate ourselves. Instead, step into intimacy. Step into intimacy with Christ. Step into intimacy with other people. The worst way to follow Jesus is to follow Him alone. To think that He is leading you into some place to hide and to get away from everybody who's not like you. That's not what following... Jesus didn't lead people into a hidden valley and say, you know, let's just hide here until the end of times. He led people to places where they needed His truth and His words and His grace. And that's where He leads you. One of the driving motives of my life and what's trying to be the driving motive of our church is this simple statement that says we try to find places the gospel's not and go interject ourselves there. That's following Jesus because that's where Jesus went. When you read the gospels, Jesus often, he didn't like hanging out with the Pharisees. He would go to the sinner's house and the Pharisees would follow him there and be like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, I didn't, the last party I was at with you guys was boring, so I'm going to this one. And, and he would go to places where the the truth wasn't, and he would take it there. It wasn't this holy huddle of isolation that he called us to. And sometimes we as churches can get so consumed with creating the right moment just for us as followers, we forget that Jesus didn't call us to isolate ourselves. He actually called us to go out and create intimate relationships with other people and with him. Second way to follow him is don't stagnate. Don't stop growing, but step into vulnerability. Following Jesus isn't a one and done thing. It isn't praying a prayer and then saying I'm saved and going to heaven. It's not just a moment like baptism and then you're done. Like, oh, I've been baptized, I'm good. It's not just showing up to church on Sunday. It's not kind of some kind of spiritual transaction. Our relationship with Jesus should never stop growing. It should never stop developing. It is ongoing personal connection that opens ourselves more and more to Him every moment of every day is becoming more and more vulnerable to Him. The last one, and I picked this word because it rhymes with isolate and stagnate, but don't pontificate. Yeah. Right? If you don't know what pontificate is, you can Google it right quick. But it's like, shut your mouth. Like, stop talking so much. Don't just talk about things and actually start submitting Following Jesus isn't this educational exercise that helps us become better defenders of the faith or develop theological arguments and stances. It isn't about talking. It is about being. Letting the truths that we study challenge us, change us, and mold us into his image. Too often we can sit and talk and argue and debate about what it means to follow Jesus without ever actually doing it. Too often. Way too often, we equate going to a Bible study to following Jesus. We equate going to church or giving or even worshiping to following Jesus. Those are all great things. But the following means actually going, doing, being, not just attending. And this is a subtle trap. The best way I know how to describe it is this. I grew up playing baseball and I loved playing baseball. 
It was one of my favorite sports. And we practiced all the time. And when we had three or four practices a week for like one game on Saturday. And I would go to the practice, and that's like going to Bible studies, worships, things like that. Like I'm getting ready. But I remember one, one week I got sick, and I was not able to play in the game. I was not able to go to the game. And I was like, everything I did that week was wasted. Like I was like, all that practice for nothing because we're only practicing for a reason. We're eventually going to play a game. We're eventually going to do something of consequence. And we as Christians following Jesus isn't just practicing. It is getting in the game. So my question for you today is this. Will you stop thinking and talking about following Jesus and will you actually start following? Actually start going. Will you take up your cross? Will you deny yourself? Stop thinking that you are God. Will you start to fight your pride? Will you take up the cross of love, humility, and forgiveness and let those begin to flow freely from your life? Bear that cross daily. And will you follow in intimacy and vulnerability and submission, allowing the Spirit of God to direct your steps every day, every moment as you walk? Follow. Following Jesus is simple. Pretty straightforward. Drop your nets. Drop the things that are holding you back. Drop the things that would keep you from staying up, up to speed with Him. And then actually go where He goes. Follow His steps. It's pretty straightforward. It's a simple choice that we get to make. Not just once. Not just twice. But every day. Anybody ahead and close your eyes with me? I want to take just a moment in a teaching point like this because you, there may be people in this room that are investigating God and trying to figure out what it does mean, who God is, who Jesus is, and how this relates together and what it means to become a Christian or a follower of Christ. And I want to give you just a minute in the stillness and quietness of this moment to, to talk to God. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, or you thought you were. You thought you'd been following, but all you've been doing was studying and learning, and you haven't actually been being and doing and following and submitting. So we take just a moment in the stillness and quiet of this moment. And if you've got something you need to talk to God about, take these moments and do that. Father, I know too often I complicate what it means to follow you. I have things to it. I drag other things around with me that I think I'll need. Sometimes I just stop and like to read and study and hide and pat myself on the back for knowing more about you. God, would you help us in this moment, in this day, in this time right now to drop our nets and to take up our cross and follow you? Just simply. Just take this simple, straightforward path of letting go and grabbing hold of things. Letting go of sin and grabbing hold of your forgiveness. Letting go of pain in our life and grabbing hold of your healing. Letting go of just searching and finding your contentment. God, and letting, ultimately letting go of our guilt and finding your grace. God, wherever we are on our spiritual journey this morning, would you help us to take that next step in following you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.